morning. It is a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, yeah, so I got a call Friday. The, uh, the Malawian team made it in, praise God, after a full week of work there in Malawi, Africa. By God's grace, they, they, they got back, doing good. I came and saw the team a little bit. It was around 4 o'clock-ish on Friday and got to see Pastor and Michael and some of the other teams, stuff like that. And got to hang out with them a little bit. And then I got a, I got a call about an hour and a half later as Pastor Michael. I say, how you doing? He said, uh, recovering from COVID. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. So Pastor Michael gets in and has COVID now. So, but he wanted me to stress. He is doing really good. He said, capital, please. Tell them that I'm doing fine and in quarantine. He's like, I can preach, but I don't know if I should. It's like, well, I'll tell them that you're probably not going to make it and they should come to your house and maybe go from there. But no. Um, so it, he is doing well. Pray for him. So he's recovering and will be back in the pulpit next Sunday. And so he asked me to, to, to preach. So we, we will not be in Psalms 18. I did not prepare Psalms 18. Uh, I'll actually be in Genesis 32. But, man, this is a big week for Rock Hill. So uh, the, the Malawian team got back after, by God's grace, they made it back and having COVID too. You know what I mean? That's, that's praise God. Saw people come to faith. We have VBS this week. Uh, Upwards is around the corner. God in the Great Outdoor Expo is really around the corner. But here we are this morning. And as much as our kids need change in VBS, and as much as we desire kids to be ministered to through Upwards, and as much as we want people to come to faith through God in the Great Outdoors, and this morning we need to be changed every single one of us. From the most seasoned to the youngest in our faith or those who don't know Christ, we need to be changed. If we ever get to the point in times in our life where we just think, I'm good, you're not in a good place, my friend. So Genesis 32, we'll start in verse 9. This is the passage where Jacob wrestles with God. Profound passage that's meant a lot to me over, over the years. I had the opportunity to see one of my, one of my best friends named, named Jeff. I, back in college, he was my best buddy. We, you know, I was in his wedding. He was in mine. And then just over the years, we just drifted apart. Nothing bad, nothing crazy, just life. opportunity to reconnect with my friend Jeff in, in Anaheim during the uh, Baptist Convention. So I got to visit with him. Again, have not seen my, my good friend for 15 years. It was great. Just visited with him, and I made a comment about some of his old things he did back whenever he was younger. He said, my goodness. He said, that was back before, back before I really died and God changed me. I said, well, what happened? He said, Vancouver happened. I said, I don't like the Canucks either. Continue. You know what I mean? I was like, I was talking hockey. He said, no, God, God got a hold of his life after being a believer and knocked the rusts and the arrogance and the pride right out of his chest. I said, really? I said, my soul died in a Target truck years ago. <laughs> Got shipped. I don't know where it is. It's found its way, you know. There's a season, I told him, there's a season in my life. Just in the deepest, darkest hole. I find myself in the back of a Target truck. I know you're East Texas. You don't shop Target. I understand that. It's whatever. But I was working there and. For several weeks, I talked to the Lord about how bad people had been to me. And, oh, man, he affirmed me. You're right, Dave. That church member did you bad. I said, didn't they? Week after week, I told the Lord about how people had treated me. And he affirmed it. Somewhere down the road in the back of that Target truck, 
God said, David, I know you've been mistreated, but you're not the man you think you are. And then he just put a mirror in front of me. Strong, gracious, and said, I need you to look at who you really are. You are not the man I've called you to be. Day after day in the back of a truck for 12 hours a day, as I moved boxes, God reminded me, you're not the man you think you are. These moments in our lives are crucial and uncomfortable and painful, but so necessary. In our Sunday school lesson, in, uh, it's in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah goes to the mountain and God displays himself in front of Elijah and he makes a really good point. Uh, Tim Keller brings this out. It's the same mountain in which Moses saw the burning bush. So God has displayed himself through fire. Elijah goes to the same place and he gets a whisper. God has a way of revealing himself to his people in the exact way you need it. And a lot of times, it's not what you think it's going to be. Sometimes it looks like Vancouver. Sometimes it looks like a target truck, a fire, a whisper. After losing their brother, Mary and Martha asked Jesus the same question. If you would have been here, you know, if you would have been here, Mary got tears from Jesus, Martha got well, an encouraging lecture. <laughs> God will find, you will find God revealing himself in your world in a way that you had not thought he would. This is what we find here in this passage where God shows up in a way that is really counterintuitive to the human experience. So for context, Jacob has been sent back by God to Mesopotamia. God has sent him back to see his kindred folk. We'll talk about that in verse 9. He has stolen the birthright from Esau over stew. Esau, who is a red, hairy hunter of a brother, promises murder because of what Jacob did. That's some dysfunctional family there, friend. I tell you what. If I had a brother coming after me, I don't want him to be a red, hairy hunter either. That's not good. So Esau is on the way to meet Jacob with 400 men. This does not appear to be a welcoming committee. Jacob is fearful for his life. He has a plan, but he knows his plan ultimately will equal nothing. He is at the end of his rope, the end of the line. He is done. This is where we pick up Jacob's story. So he begins to pray in verse 9 in this context. If you will, Jacob has found his way to Vancouver or the back of a target truck. Starting in verse 9. This is Jacob's prayer. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. So he, he recalls God's direction. Listen, God has put him in harm's way. God said, go back. Well, he goes back and Esau wants to kill him. God has put him in harm's way. Listen, it is not always God's will that you and I escape pain. It is not always God's will that you and I escape pain. I don't like pain. I run from it as often as I can. I'm just being honest with you. I, have, I just assume most of the time God does not like me to go through pain. But listen to me. There is such a place as a good 
painful place and thing. Make sure that we do not teach our children that God's will is always a bed of roses. So God has sent him into a painful, difficult, harmful place. Some of the church planters in countries that experience persecution and their church members are arrested and put in the most heinous jails in the world. They ask the church leaders, do you get them out of prison? They say, usually no, we don't. They say, why? They said, if you rescue Joseph from prison, then he never meets Pharaoh. It's okay to be in a painful place. It really is going to be okay. Don't run from it. It recalls God's directions like, God, you put me on the railroad tracks. Verse 10. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds and steadfast love of the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For the only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. So he recalls God's blessing. So whenever he ran from Esau chapters ago, he all he had was a staff. And now many years later, he's coming back across the Jordan. He has so many things. He has two different camps. He has so much stuff. Anybody blessed? Oh my goodness. Just to spend time thinking about how gracious God's been to you. Someone said the way we roll through life is actually backwards because you can't see the future. Like no matter how wise you are, you just can't see it. So God in his gracious sovereignty directs us backwards and all we have is look at the past. We observe the past. It is so easy due to our sinful nature to only see the bad and difficult and terrible possibilities instead of going, how good has God been to me? Like, I, God, I trust the future because you have been so kind. It's hard to live that way sometimes, isn't it? He recalls the blessings of God after he recalls the directions of God. 11. He says, please deliver me. The word in Hebrew, deliver, means rescue. Like, like uh, rescue me, deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that, I may, that, that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. Not only me, but my very life, my wife, the mothers, the children. Like, I need to be rescued from this man. Anybody need to be delivered today? Anybody got a past you need to be delivered from? Economy issues, stress issues, people issues, demonic issues, chemical dependency issues, lustful issues, prideful issues, on and on and on. He calls out to the guy, he said, deliver me, like rescue me from this man. Verse 12, then he recalls the promises of God. Watch this. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitudes. Remember the promises of God. Oh, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I'll come back for you. In a very short time, our sovereign king will return for us. 
give relief to the saints, and utterly destroy those who have turned their backs on him. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore go. Promise after promise after promise. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right, should we go on? Promise after promise after promise. So in his prayer, he recalls God's direction. He recalls God's blessing. He asks for deliverance. He recalls God's promise. And then forward verses, he sends people away. He executes his plan. We jump to verse 24. So after this plea, this crying out to God, like, God, I need you to intervene. I need you to rescue me from this man. Like, I remember your blessings and your promises. God, show up. Verse 24, he's left all alone, and God shows up. In the most awkward, odd way the reader would ever imagine. Imagine this, you're in Vancouver or the back of a Target truck, whatever. Like, God, I really need you to show up. And God says, here I am. Listen to this. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. What? Like, how does that work? <laughs> I need you, God, I need you to rescue me from that man. And now you come pick a fight with me. You see, the idea, God, is that you pick a fight with Esau. My problem is not here. The problem is that guy, right? You see, your biggest problem is you. My biggest problem is me. And sometimes whenever you're in Vancouver, God comes and picks a fight with you. And I'm thinking, do you know how many, I was like, Lord, really? And this is not to kick a man while he's down. Scripture says God will not break a bent rod. Like I need you to wrestle with that guy. And yet God in his sovereignty. And this is a real wrestling match like flesh and bone. Do you remember back when wrestling was real? <laughs> Kerry Vaughn, Eric. Gentleman Chris Adams. Ric Flair. It was real. Woo. Right there. At least I thought so as a kid, right? I'll defend it. It's real. <laughs> this is a real fight when he's really at the end of his rope. And what is God really doing? Sometimes in intense suffering, it's us that need to change. And that's hard to come to grips with whenever you're on the ground. It's hard to come to grips with when you're in Vancouver. Verse 25. When the man saw they did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. You ever had a something go out of socket or out of joint? Anybody? I bet that hurts. That never happened to me before. That's why I'm asking. Now, I've had broken bones before, and that stuff hurts. Back in the day, I was playing basketball, and I was going to dunk it. I really was. I was going I was going to climb the ladder, my friend. I was taking my two steps, not four like the NBA, but my two steps, and I stepped on someone's foot. 
I assumed I was going to make it. I never made it up there. And I blew up my ankle. And I said, what, what transpired the next 20 seconds was me holding my knee, rolling around like a little cannonball on the floor. Because it hurt like crazy. I could not imagine continuing a wrestling match at that very moment. Oh, how easy we give up on the things of God. And I get it, it's tough. And so let me ask you a question. What God-honoring thing is it time for you to wrestle about? I mean, really. Your kids, your grandkids, the state of our nation. Like, God has been wrestling with me about this. And I am pleading with God. I said, God, make me a better pastor because the people of God deserve more. The people of this church or whatever group I'm involved in, they deserve a better man than what I am today. Make me a better husband. My wife deserves a better man. It's true. God, make me a better father. They don't deserve anything, but make me a better father. Right? Make me a better father. <laughs> oh, that you'd wrestle with God for God-glorifying reasons. Don't give up. Hold on, even if it's painful. In the year 2020, which was a difficult year for churches and, and, and everybody, in 2020 in the U.S., according to Barner Research, 20,000 pastors walked away from the church. They did a study the same year. 48% of all pastors would leave the ministry if they could. It's so easy to walk away from the pain. And I'm begging you, don't you dare let go. It's later than you think. We only have a handful of years, we're gone. He touches his hip, and it goes out. He continued to wrestle. Then he said, verse 26, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. If you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, this person who is wrestling is, um, is a manifestation of God. He's wrestling with God. And God gives him a name change. Jacob means heel grabber. And that's been his whole life. If you read the, the Genesis story, it's been him. Esau was born, and Jacob grabbed his heel on the way out. And that's kind of the way he's operated his life. Manipulation, trickery, planning, advancing. You know, like today's engineers. I'm kidding. <laughs> engineers are like, you guys are brilliant. They execute plans. They do stuff right. You know the guy I'm talking about. My brother's an engineer. That's why I say that. No more. God changed his name. There's something about a name, especially for Hebrews. Now, whenever we were uh, selecting the names for our, our, our kids, we, we put a lot of thought into it because names mean something. Elijah means Yahweh, means the Lord is my God. That's what it means. The name Ethan means strong. I interpret it as stubborn, so it's, it's, it's appropriate. Evie means giver of my life. I want my daughter to give life where she goes. But more than that, spiritually, outside of Christ, 
My name is dead. My name is pride. My name is wounded, arrogant, lustful, addict, insecure. Name it. Our God is the kind of God that can change a man or woman instantly, give you a new identity. Like, like that is not us anymore. I had the opportunity to see my mom and dad yesterday, and mom's struggling. She lost her sister in just a really weird accident. So I got to go see her in Dallas, and so as we were driving up, we were talking about stories of mom and dad. You know how stories go about your mom and dad. Mom was kind and great. Dad was borderline, you know, be put in jail for the things he did. You know what I mean, how he got after you? That's just how it goes. Raising in an Italian family, my dad told me back in the day, I had the worst temper of any of the kids. He was proud of it, I think. <laughs> Getting fights for no reason. It was so, and this is not a yay me. I'm not that man anymore. God did something to me. God did something to me. And just because you're a believer doesn't mean he's done with you. He changes his name. Today, if you don't know Christ, oh my goodness. So many years ago, I went from being David, the child of God. Amy, the child of God. Right? Wes is no more the child of God. Roger no more as a child of God. Do you understand? But now that we're a believer, there's things in our lives that God needs to deal with that can only be dealt with sometimes in the back of a truck or in Vancouver. Let him, let him change your name. Verse 29. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why are you asking my name? Interesting question. You ever done that before? Plead with God, I need, you to, to, I need you to find your way into my journey. And then he does, and you're like, what are you doing here? Who are you? Do not be surprised. If you get to really call out to the Lord, do not be surprised when he shows up in the most unusual way you ever dreamed of. When you think you need a fire, you get a whisper. You think you need a whisper, you get fire. Sometimes he sends you to Vancouver. Then he blessed him. So Jacob renamed the place, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he limped because of his hip. We'll go to verse 31 and back up to 30. His brother is descending upon him with 400 men that he perceives is going to end his life and the people he cares for. After crying out to God, he's more exhausted because he's wrestled all night. And now he can't run away. Why? Because he has a bad hip. So on the outside looking in, it's like you're in worse shape after God's intervention than you ever were before. You ever had that happen before? You're struggling. God, I need you to interject. And then after his interjection, you seem to be worse off than ever. I have a good friend that was... Uh, post-surgery, just struggling, didn't feel like he was healing, didn't feel like he was just getting the kind of care he needed. And he was a praying man, but he was a, felt uncomfortable people praying over him. 
So he called his wife in. He said, I need you to pray for me. I don't feel like this. Something's wrong. Man, she laid hands on him and prayed over him. Just anointed him. Man, just prayed. As soon as she said amen, he started throwing up. I mean, just throwing up violently. And actually ripped his stitches. And in doing so, found that there was an infection. Rushed him to the hospital. He's alive today. Sometimes when God interjects, you may think you're in a worse spot than you were before. That's only because Christ is glorified in your weakness. Have you not figured it out, friends? It's not about you, your bank account, your skill set. It's not about you at all. It's about Christ. It's about his cross and the empty tomb. It's all about him. And sometimes he interjects himself in your life and you think it's bad. Sometimes you feel worse according to the world. But it's all about him. Do not be surprised when you're in the back of your target truck and things get a little bit more difficult for you. Go to verse 30. This is, I think, the key of the passage. Verse 30. Did you catch this? So Jacob, he renamed the place, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet I have been delivered. Do you remember the word delivered? We use it in his prayer. He said, Deliver me from the hand of Esau, my brother. Same word. You have rescued me. This is what he's saying. Here is, here's what ties his life together from here on out. Listen. Because if you were to see God face to face, in all of his glory, you would be consumed. He's, here's the thought. If you can deliver me from yourself, you can deliver me from anything. Listen to this. If God can deliver you from himself, he can deliver you from anything. This is the hinge that changes his life. Limp, no limp, money, no money. I have seen God deliver from sin. He can deliver me from anything. Fear no more. Right? This is it. So name it. Name the issue. If God can save you from himself, for himself, is there anything in the universe that he cannot save you from? There's nothing. Like, like, name it. Name a sin, a problem, a loss, a hurt, an issue, a depression, an anxiety. There is no name given to man in which God cannot rescue because we have seen him deliver through the cross. Why don't we live like that? Why don't we push for a future knowing the reality that God has delivered us from the impossible? So what did Jesus rescue us from? Some would say Satan and demons and devil. And, there, and there's some truth to that. There is some truth to that. Namely, do you know what Jesus rescued us from? The righteous, holy, deserving wrath of God because of our sin and sin nature. So much that God sent his precious son to live 33 years of perfection. And they took him, they beat him, and they whipped him, and they mocked him, and they tortured him. 
They put nails in his hands. They pinned him up on a cross. And in doing so, he absorbed the wrath of God that was due me and you. He delivered us from himself, but also for himself. So that we're adopted. We went from dead to life. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, basically the New Testament. So now what? I, I, would th- I know a lot of folks here at Rock Hill. I think a lot of us have, have encountered Christ in that way, that he has changed our name. He's blessed us. He's redeemed us. So for Jacob here, he, he pushes forward with his people. He, uh, he executes his plan. God has softened Esau's heart, and he is rescued. But what about us? My concern is a lot of the westernized church, including me and my home, in the glorious way we have joy because we have been delivered by the cross. But that you would extend that joy to expand his kingdom. The way it's verbalized like this, in, in, in Exodus 4, God had a mission for Moses. Moses like, I can't do it. <laughs> God said, what's in your hand? Let me ask you a question. What's in your hand? 2 Kings 4, Elisha talks to the woman who's in desperate. He said, what's in your house? Matthew 14, feeding the 5,000, he asked the little boy, what do you have? Some of us, look, you know what? All you got is a couple loaves and fishes. It's enough. You're not all that talented, not all that skilled. It doesn't matter. You have a a staff. It's enough. You say, I'm only a mechanic. It's enough. From mechanics to teachers, even engineers, bless God, can be used, right? Farmers, businessmen. Look, I told you last week I was in Utah. It was in Salt Lake City. That is ground zero for a demonic cult Named Mormonism. We're there having lunch, and there's these business guys. You know, the business guys are just, you know what I mean? Talking business, talking Mormonism. Salt Lake and something. Boy, my heart jumped. They're lost, and I'm like standing like next to them. This wasn't this question, but I was like, what's in my hand? I'm not a businessman. I'm not a businessman. I don't. Some of you guys talk business with me. I don't know what you're talking about. Let's just have lunch and move on. I don't understand it. I was like, Lord, he's like, what's in your hand? It's not business. You know, he told me, he ministered to me. He said, that's okay. There's some people at Rock Hill, that, that's in their hands. You guys, what's in your hand? I have a concern that in our culture that we have been saved and changed and redeemed. You have all this stuff in your hands. And you won't live a life that just says, it's yours. This is what's in my house. This is what's in my hand. This is my everything. God has delivered us so we would live for him. People who know Christ 
We've been changed. What's in your hands? What's in your hands? It's later than we think it is. We don't have much time. So as the praise band makes their way up, if you knew God would provide it, what would you attempt for his glory? Let me ask a question. If you knew God would provide it, what would you attempt for his glory? What's in your hands? What's in your house? What do you have? If he has saved you from himself for himself, it's time to let go and see what God has for us. Do you need him to change your name today? Maybe, yeah, look, if you don't know Christ, oh my goodness. If you're, if you're not sure that you know Christ, because you know what, part of the realities of not just West Texas, but kind of our Bible culture is, you know what, me and God are good. Because when I was a kid, I prayed a prayer like a Rubik's Cube in the exact same way, and I'm good. My life is not different. I don't really love Christ. That is not the story we just described in the text, right? That is more like Rubik's Cube witchcraft. Easy believism. Have you seen and tasted that he is good by Christ on the cross, dead, buried, resurrected, so much to the point that he has changed you and you say, what's in my hand is yours. If you're unsure of your salvation, please talk to us this morning. For some of us guys, I mean, there's, it's time to get a wrestling match on. I mean, it's past time. Here's the question. What God-honoring thing do you need to wrestle with God about? What God-honoring thing do you need to wrestle with God about? And lastly, what do you need to be delivered from? What do you need to be delivered from? You say, Dave, all I got is a past. You mean all you got is a story. That makes Christ look glorious. What's in your hands? Do you need a name change? Do you need deliverance? You guys respond as God leads you to respond in a way that glorifies him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we love you. And I ask that you would do a work on our hearts this morning. Those of us who need deliverance from, name it. Oh, that we'd find ourselves in your presence. Those of us who need a change of name, God, please, Lord, that you would, we invite you, as if you need invitation, but we do, we invite you. If you want to wrestle with us, wrestle. If you want to whisper, whisper. If you want to cry with us, cry with us. If you want to lecture us, lecture us. If you want to send us to Vancouver or a truck, it doesn't matter. I just, God, we're, we're asking that you would meet with us how you see fit, not how we see fit. We surrender to you this morning. We surrender what's in our hands, what's in our home, and all that we have. Please, God, please be gracious in this way. In Jesus' name.